We're gonna, we're gonna, what? Yeah. Time to respond. Um, so we're in, we're in Second Thessalonians chapter three, and we're gonna finish out Thessalonians, and we're, we're gonna have a recap week next week. But this will be our last like new content week, and we're gonna read through verses six. All the way to the end of the chapter. I might, I might pause at 15, and I'm, I might not go any further than 15 today, and that'll be okay since we have another week um, after this. But we'll at least cover those. So, I'm going to go ahead and read, starting at verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So... Um, the, the words of Paul in this passage, to me, seemed to be a little off-putting at first. Um, this section, like the rest of Thessalonians, is about encouragement. The, I mean, that is the big theme of Thessalonians. Paul is trying to encourage this church that, for the most part, is doing a really good job. God, God is working strongly in this church, and they have responded well to the gospel. And for the most part, he has only good things to say about them. And, and this section, he continues to encourage them. However, I thought that there were some difficult commands here that I thought would be a challenge to us as individuals and as a body of believers. I say that because when I compare what Paul is saying here to the culture in the U.S. or even the church culture, even our church's culture... Um, it seems like there's a fair amount of disconnect, so we may need some course correction. And since these commands that he's giving us uh, are in the context of community, it may challenge our unity as believers, as the church, to, to do some of the things that he's talking about. Um, however, I think that we're up for it. Uh, God gave us these words to, to live by, right? Not to just kind of analyze them the way you put, would a piece of man-made art. You just kind of look at it and say, oh, isn't that nice? Like, we're supposed to do these things. So let's, let's figure out a little bit more specifically what we need to do. Uh, first of all, uh, my thought was just like, why, why is idleness such a big deal? Why does he treat it as such a big deal? Because when he says things like, have nothing to do with, with a, the brother who is walking in idleness, that's pretty strong. I don't, do you think that you, have you seen a church do that? As I was thinking through my history of living within the church, and I'm thinking, could I, could I ever think back to a situation where 
the church really called out somebody for this. I couldn't think of anything. Um, and that, I mean, that's, I'm sure that there are places where they do, but this was not something that I, I think that we make a big deal out of, but it seems like Paul is making a big deal out of it. He's saying, have nothing to do with that kind of person. That's really strong. And I just wondered, what, what's the big deal about idleness? It's not like they murdered somebody. It's not like they committed some, some heinous crime. So why is he being so harsh? Why is he telling the church to have nothing to do with an, an idle person? Uh, I tried to get a little bit um, at the language that he's using in there. Um, the, the word, and you can read other translations. ESV is what we have most often in here, I think, most of us, where it's translated idleness. But does anybody have anything else instead of idleness there in uh, verse 6? Hmm? Yeah, unruly. Okay, yeah, that's a good one. There was, um, there was King James, I think, does disorderly. Uh, there's a couple of different kind of ways that you could take that. So I think that idleness makes sense when you look at the context of the whole passage where he's, he's clearly talking about working because he talks about his labor and imitate him and, and his attitude, his work ethic. So it makes sense that you could, you could say idleness. Um, but I thought that it was helpful to see some of the synonyms, some of the, the other ways that that word could be taken, um, because you could kind of think of it as um, when it says walking in idleness there in verse six, when he says, keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, that could be thought of as wandering off the path. That's kind of a, an illustration that you could think of. And that's that's more a little bit more serious i think if you, if you think of like the christian walk and you've got this this path that you're walking on and as a church we're all walking together and if you think of it as somebody who is who is wandering away then it becomes a to me that that seemed to to communicate it a little bit more clearly than walking in idleness um so i was trying to think of like an illustration for this like um to, to kind of make this a little bit more serious in my head. And I was trying to, when I thought about that, walking off the path, I was, I was thinking of, of uh, various illustrations came to my mind. And uh, I'll be a nerd right now and, and be one of those pastors that uses a Tolkien reference. Because um, it was the first thing that came to my mind. Uh, has anybody read The Hobbit? The movies were not that great in my opinion. But I really enjoyed the book. Uh, when I read it when I was younger, I remember one thing that stuck out to me in that book that was like really kind of mysterious and, and interesting was they, they go into this forest uh, called Mirkwood and, and they're trying to get from point A to point B. They have to go through this forest and it's a dangerous place and, and it's dark. Like this is dense forest. It, it's filled with all kinds of nasty stuff, all kinds of nasty creatures, things that want to kill them. But they've got to go through it. And there's this path, and it's in the dark, and they have to walk this path. And it's narrow, and it's, it's, it's hard, and they have to stick to it. So they move through, and they're without their leader at this point in time. They're moving through this road, and they've got to get through here, and they've got to be really careful. And this, the entire time that they're walking through this path, they're, 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 they're being tempted. It's kind of the idea. Uh, they keep seeing these lights. 
like off the path. All these things just kind of calling their attention away. And they're in dark. They're in this really dark area. So any kind of light is sticking out. And it's something that you immediately are drawn to and you want to go towards. And, and that's kind of, it made me think of that. Like this dangerous situation where you've got to get through here. You've got to stay on this small road. Because if you don't, you're going to get in trouble. But there's all these things that are just kind of trying to pull you away and trying to tempt you to, to leave this path. And, and if, you are, if you were to leave, then it would be to your detriment and to anybody's detriment that you would lead away. That's, that's kind of what it made me think of. Um, we could use the words of, of Jesus, perhaps, in Matthew 7, um, verses 13 and 14. Give me a while to turn to it. Should have written them down. This is jet lag, me trying to get to this verse. <clears throat> Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So you get this idea that, that Paul is saying to these believers, you need to stick to what you've been told. Imitate our example. Follow the gospel. And anybody who is wandering away from that, and, and the word there, it says, he says walking in idleness. So it's not like, oh, I, I messed up once. Oh, now we're going to cut you off. That's not the idea. It's like someone who is continuing to move away. So, so it's, an, it's an attitude. It's, it's, it's something that they have decided to do, to move in a different direction. <clears throat> so... I, I hope that that kind of helps a little bit when you think about this. It still seems really strong, though, right? Where he's saying, don't have anything to do with someone who is walking in idleness and who is not working. Um, and, and I think that the reason why that is is maybe because the, the reason why that's hard for us is maybe because we have kind of wrong understandings about work itself that maybe are we're informed by our culture uh, to a degree that it doesn't make sense that we would call somebody out for for this sort of thing or that we would remove them from the church for this sort of thing um, so I just try to start thinking about okay what are, what are some challenges in our, in our perception of work? And I think that the biggest one is just that for a lot of us, we think that it's all about us, like us as individuals. What, what, what I do for work is kind of like my business, I guess. We're very individualistic in our culture, so we think it's all about me. Work is, all, is oftentimes for us all about my abilities or inabilities and my desires, my security, my comfort, my legacy, my achievements, my salary. It's, it's all about me. And I think that that's how we often look at work. Um, and if it's, if it's all about you, then you can really just do whatever you want to. Like if you don't want to work, if you want to work, if you want to work this job, that job, whatever. Um, 
And, and it's kind of in your hands and there's no greater purpose when you think of it that way. Um, <clears throat> since I just came from Japan, I'll just give this, uh, this kind of illustration. Over there, there and I'm, I have a hard time with this word every time, hikikikomori is the word. Uh, there, there's this um, group, uh, like this recognized demographic of individuals in Japan, um, young men most often, who have just kind of disengaged with the workforce. Like they, they feel like the crushing weight of culture on them to be successful and to, to be, and, and to to produce and to do all these things. And they feel so stifled by it because they feel like they can't match those expectations. They can't live up to it because it's, it's too much pressure for them. And, and they're, they're totally focused on themselves. So rather, rather than meet that challenge, they just kind of fall into a despair, a depression. And, and rather than becoming a part of the workforce, they kind of just disengage. And they, they, they keep to themselves. They don't really go out much. They, they don't, they're homeless. They, they stay in internet cafes. Like you can, over there, you can pay for like a night to stay in this little area where you get free Wi-Fi and all this other stuff. Um, so they'll just stay there because it's cheaper than, than renting a house. And, and they'll, just, they'll just stay there because they feel like they can't live up to the pressure. It's all about them and they can't do it. Um, when, when work becomes all about us, then, then we are free to then make all kinds of decisions that aren't informed by the Bible. Work is more about serving God and others than it is about us, than it is about our abilities or inabilities or our desire and security. It's not about our comfort or legacy or achievements, or the salary that we make. Work is not about that. It's about serving God and others. God gave humans work to do before the fall. He, it was something that God told Adam when he created him, hey, work this garden, keep it. And it was a good thing. Like before anything was broken, God had a job for Adam to do. So that, when you, when you kind of look at that as a template, it wasn't about Adam at that point in time. It was about imaging God in creation and stewarding what God had given and, and, and kind of proclaiming God's glory in that. Like God, Adam had a purpose right there at the beginning. So work for us is more about being good stewards of what God has given us. And we need to see work as having meaning beyond ourselves. It's not just about you trying to get the best job that you can, trying to make your parents proud, trying to... Uh, make a ton of money so that you can retire early and live on vacation for 20 years until you die. Um, like that's, that's not what work is about. It's about more than that. And work in the, in, in the Bible is really kind of pictured as a communal thing, which I think that we lose a lot of that here in the U.S. But a lot of times when work is mentioned in the Bible, it's mentioned in regards to community. So... They, there's, there's concepts throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, like you should work to support your family. And a lot of people, when we think of that, we think, oh, well, married, kids, that's not, it's not exclusively that. Yes, obviously, if you're married or if you have kids, you need to work to support that family relationship. But in the Bible, it's broader than that. Like you would work 
to, to support your parents. Like when they get old, the, back then in their, in their cultures, and still a lot of cultures today, um, it's expected that the kids are going to take care of the parents when they get old. So, so you would work to take care of them. And also they had this idea in Israel that if there were people who were in need, then from the excess of your efforts, your work, you would supply the needs or you would meet the needs of the community around you. And you would help relatives. So if, you had, if there was like a widow inside of your family or something like that, you would reach out to them and, and meet their needs and help them. So there's this idea that work is not just about you looking good in front of everybody else. It's not about you doing what makes you the most happy. It's about contributing to community and, and living out life the way God wants you to. So I think that that's, I don't think that we see it that way very often in, the, in, in our culture. But I think that, that is helpful for us to, to think of it that way. Uh, some of us don't think, oh, it's all about me, but some of us do see work as maybe like a necessary evil. Like work is just bad and, and it's something that we have to do because creation's broken and we're not getting food for free, so we've got to earn a living somehow. Um, so we all go to work just because we have to. And I already mentioned, like that's, that's not the case. Work came before sin. And so it's, it's not bad in and of itself. It's just become difficult because of the realities of sin. So don't think of it as a necessary evil. It's, it's a good that has become difficult. Um, others of us may think about it as hierarchy, like work is a hierarchy. Because work is all about status. If I get a good job, then I'll get better status in life. <laughs> Or, or once you're inside of a job, it's all about who's the boss, who's, who's not, and, and trying to kind of manipulate those relationships to get higher up in this, higher, this social hierarchy. And some of us see it that, kind of that way. But um, Paul, I think, is really addressing that specifically in here. Um, the idea that he, he brings across here later, uh, when he says... In verse 11, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Um, the, the word there for busy bodies is, is very culturally specific. When we read that, we kind of think of like a meddler, somebody who goes around and really is just kind of in everybody else's business and, and doesn't have keep much to themselves. Um, that's not exactly what he's likely trying to communicate there. Um, back in the Roman culture, they had patron-client relationships. Uh, the way that you would um, gain favor, gain uh, reputation in society is that you would kind of latch on to somebody who had status. And, and you would try to please them. You would try to help them with their work so that you could get status. And, and that's, we, we have similar cultures inside of various industries in the U.S. that are like that. Um, but it was very kind of specific to their time. Um, and, and the idea there, when Paul says, you're not busy with your own work, you're busy with, with everybody else's work. You're, you're out there trying to gain favor from other people. Don't do that. Have your own kind of work. What he's saying is, <clears throat> don't go around trying to mooch off of other people, 
don't go around trying to gain favor with people in the world by, by latching on to what they have. He's saying instead that we ought to gain a, a work of our own. Rather than pursuing some sort of honorable benefactor, somebody who, who can make us look good, we ought to have our own work. And, and we shouldn't be busy chasing the world's vision of success by acquiring fame or favor by the world's standards. But instead, we should be busy working in the name of Christ, under whom everybody's equals. And that was a big idea in here, too. The idea that we're all equals. Back then, it was all about, if I can get honor, if I can get favor from somebody else who's in the world, then I'm going to make it. And Paul's saying, it's really not about you getting honor from some person. It's about you listening to God. So be about your own work and don't worry about getting favor from somebody else because we're not looking for somebody else's favor. We're looking for God's favor. So that's the kind of idea here. And, and we talked earlier in Thessalonians about the idea that um, he says, work with your hands, which back then was kind of looked down upon because people who, who did manual labor were considered like lesser by society. The people who had the cushy jobs, like the, the desk jobs, those were just thought of as better. The orators were thought of as better. But he's saying, no, 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 listen, just go out there and be about your own work. Get a manual job. Do what you need to do to have something, to be productive, to be working. So, just to kind of recap those things, I feel like we, we have misunderstandings that work is all about me, but it's not. Work is not all about us. It's all about being faithful to co the commands of God, kind of his prescription for how we ought to work. Some of us think that work is a necessary evil. It's not evil. It's just hard because of sin. But it was good from the beginning. And some of us think it's all about hierarchy and status and getting more favor, more repute. It's not about that. Again, it's about being faithful to God. So having kind of, I think that thinking, about, thinking through those things, thinking through those barriers that kind of challenge us and widening this this perspective, I think it helps us to understand a little bit more why he is using this kind of strong language. Because when you think of this as being, um, as being something that, that God does, God works, and he, he calls men to work, and it was good, and, and it's something that we are all kind of tasked with, and, and it's, a, it's an issue of being faithful to God. When you see it that way, instead of just about me, then, then it starts to make a little bit more sense why he would be so strict, why he would be so specific. I think that it's cool to think that, that God works. Like, in the beginning, God created. He created the heavens and the earth. He planned the entire universe from nothing and then spoke it into existence. Everything that is came from God. All matter, all energy, moon, planets, stars, earth, oceans, lands, plants, animals, human beings. That sounds like a lot of work, making those things. God made everything in six days and then he rested because he was happy with the work that he had done. So God himself works. And we are thankful that God works. 
And part of us imaging God is working inside of creation. When God made Adam, he put him in the garden and that was filled with all kind of fruit-yielding trees, all kinds of animals. He charged him to work it and keep it in Genesis 2. Um, he told him to be over all the animals. He gave him a job to do. Man had, man's presence in the world had a purpose. Like there was, there was work to be done. He wasn't there just for decoration. He was made to image God and to work as steward over all, all the other things that God had made in creation. So God was good, creation was good, and work was good. But then it broke in Genesis 3. You can read 17 through 19. Um, God curses creation. And since man had to work over creation, the thing that he was working on got cursed. So now it's just broken. So <clears throat> not only was he cursed to die, but, but creation was cursed. And so his work was cursed. And plants and animals no longer yielded themselves to him. And they resisted him. And so work became like this never-ending exhaustion. Constantly slipping back into entropy and disorder, never quite right, never quite finished, ever broken, ever incomplete, and it's frustrating. But it's still our job to work. So when, when we look at these things, I want to, and, and think about these things more broadly, this concept of just working, I, I, want, to, I want us to feel like we have... A sense of personal responsibility to work. God didn't just call us to be saved, but also to work to advance his will in the world. As Christians, that's, that's part of who we are now. So no matter what we were up to before, what we're up to now is about God's work. And, and that doesn't mean you have to quit your job where you're working right now. You can continue to, to proclaim the gospel in that context. You can continue to support your family and community and all those sorts of things. But, but it means that our work now has this bigger perspective. It's not just about us. So do you feel that, that weight of personal responsibility? It means that you ought to desire to produce, not to just sit back and consume. You ought to desire to earn a living so that you can support your family and the church and those who are in need and the community around you. It's interesting that there's all these commands talking about taking care of orphans and widows and people in need. If you are a consumer who doesn't produce anything, then it's going to be really hard for you to obey those commands because you have nothing to give them. Because all you do is sit back and consume. We need to be people who produce and who work for the good of others so that then you can obey those commands. You can reach out to the people who are in need and you can, you can meet those needs. So work is not primarily about you. It's about serving God and those around you. Paul says to imitate his work ethic. How many of you could say that? It's... I feel like when we got started um, with this church, it was really kind of, um, shocking is not the right word, but it was kind of scary to think of uh, being a pastor and saying, follow me. Like that, that's kind of a scary thought. Everybody follow me. But Paul says this all the time, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I hope 
that the example that you're getting from the men in this church is one that you can imitate. One where you could say, those guys are doing work for the good of the church. I know it seems like sometimes work doesn't get done around here because we've got such limited time and resources. But, but I hope that ours is an example where you, can, where you can look at us and say, they are being faithful to work. And, and I can follow their example. So I feel like with Paul, I can say, imitate me, but only as I try to imitate Christ. Try to work as we work. Um, don't feel like working in the church or working in the community around the church is something that is just for pastors. It's not. Like he's calling everybody here to work. It's, we have a broken idea in church that, that gospel work is just for people who are, have a title next to their name, like pastor or deacon or something like that. It's not, it's not for just people who are on staff at a church. It's for the church, all of the church. So we ought to imitate Paul. Imitate Christ in the labor that they put forward, knowing that their work was God's work. So, <clears throat> I feel like the hard part in here is where it says, and we still haven't really addressed it, where he says, have nothing to do with those who are walking in idleness. This is, this is just tough stuff, I guess, just because church discipline is never fun. And I'm not, like, about to call anybody out. Don't worry. Um, but but I feel like this is hard because, like I said, I have not seen churches call people out for this sort of thing. But it's something that we ought to be cognizant of. We need to be conscious of this, these commands in here to work. And we need to be conscious of the idea that we all have some level of personal responsibility to be doing work. And it's not just about us. It's about God's purposes. And, and for those of us who would neglect that, we need to be willing to do what it talks about in here when, it, when he says, take note of someone. So the church is going to take note of somebody. And that in, of it, in and of itself in this culture is weird. Like, you're going you're gonna to point it out. You're going to name it. You're going to say, okay, this person is walking away. They are not doing the work of the gospel. They are not working in community. And, and then to not have anything to do with them. It, I feel like it's really important down there in verse 15 when he says, don't regard them as an enemy, but warn them as a brother. So you do, you do this all out of love so that, he says, so that they may feel ashamed. So yeah, that right there indicates that it's going to be hard. Like you're going to break people's hearts probably by doing something like this. 
Because the whole point is that they would feel ashamed. Not just like... Not just like they had gotten a slap on the wrist, but that they, like, something is wrong. And, and I think that we're really hesitant to do things like that as a church because we want everybody to feel good. Um, and we want everybody to like being a part of the church. And when you have to come down hard on somebody, then it's just uncomfortable for everybody. But it's supposed to be uncomfortable. It's, we're supposed to be able to, to let it be uncomfortable. So that they are then drawn back onto the path. You're supposed to say, when they walk off the road, listen, this is where our paths split. We cannot follow you that way. You are going a different direction. And we, you need to know that you are going a different direction. And, and we have to stay over here. We have to be able to, ha- to talk like that with each other. If we can't talk like that, we're not going to be able to grow. So even though it's hard, we need to be able to, to look at this seriously and kind of examine ourselves and say, do I have this sense of personal responsibility? Am I, am I doing what Paul's talking about in here? Am I busy with my own work? Do I see work as, as something God-given? And if not, why not? Can I talk to somebody in the church about it? He says, don't grow weary in doing good. Work is going to be hard. It's going to demand your life. We're going to die working. But don't grow weary in doing good. We have hope, right? This kind of overriding hope that no matter how hard things get here, no matter how uncomfortable things get at church sometimes, because we're having awkward conversations and, and, and struggling to be unified and struggling to live the way we need to, we have this hope that, that kind of overrides this temporary weariness that we have faith in Christ. And the only, the only reason that we're able to, to have these high standards is because Christ has called us to live up to these standards. And that in and of itself is, is amazing. And it's great that we're even able to work alongside Christ because we were enemies so you get this idea that, that, that God is giving us a, an opportunity when he says, come and work alongside me. We get really excited about opportunities to, to have great jobs. Well, this is a great job that, that God has given us to work. And he says, come on, come work with me. And it's the best it's the best invitation to work a job that you could ever receive. And so even though, yeah, it's still going to be hard work, it's going to be the best kind of work that we can be involved in. And so it's something that we need to be able to get excited about. And we need to be able to stay focused on Christ in this whole thing and realize that the, the opportunity that we have to work is only available to us because he died for us. We were broken people who, who could not help ourselves, who couldn't advance no matter how hard we tried. But now he's given us this opportunity by his own spilt blood to, to, to become family members with him and to work alongside him and to do this work with him. So I hope that 
our perspective is kind of enlarged on this. I hope that we continue to pray through this and, and to live this out as a church, even though it might get awkward. Uh, it's what we're called to do, and we ought to be happy about it. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here and to, to be your workers and to, to do your will when before we had nothing. All we had was brokenness and death and despair and we were going nowhere. I pray that when we see difficult words like this where we're called to do something, we would realize what, a, what an amazing opportunity it is to be able to do something. To be able to have a work that produces fruit when before the, the, the work of our hands produced no fruit, no long-lasting fruit. But this is a work that produces fruit. It's something that we can, we can look back on and be happy about. We can, we can look back like God did on creation and say, that's, that's good. I was able to do something good because God gave me the opportunity. He gave me himself to be able to do something good with him, to work in creation, to advance his cause, the only worthwhile cause. I pray that that would be our perspective and that, that we would live out these words, even though it's going to be difficult. I pray that during this time, we would be freed up to praise you and to thank you for all the work that you have done to make our lives, lives possible. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for working for us and working on our behalf. And in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to have a time to respond. You can sing. I encourage you to sing. If you just need to sit and pray, you can sit and pray. If you want somebody to pray with you, you can come to me. Dale will be happy to pray with you. We're going to have communion. We would invite you to participate in communion. We don't require that everybody take communion all at once. Um, but if you are a Christian and, and you want to remember Christ, his sacrifice, his body and blood, then you can participate in communion with us. We also have the... Um, offering. Thank you, Dale. Uh, over there on the bar. So during this time, just do what you got to do to respond. And if you need somebody to come alongside you, then just grab one of us. All right. <laughs>